Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're reading from Ephesians 4, uh, 17 to 32. Living as children of light. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual just for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, be, may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Thank you, Nancy. Well, uh, friends, let's pray as we uh, think about God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we do want to thank and praise you for your word that uh, you've given us this morning from uh, Ephesians 4. Uh, we pray, Lord God, that as we give consideration to it, that by your spirit that you'd be working in our hearts and our minds, that you'd be changing our thinking, uh, that you'd be changing uh, the way that we um, the, way, the way that we behave and, the, and that you're building us and growing us and uh, helping us as a church to be the people that you would have us be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the British Museum in London, there is a stone slab. Uh, it's this one. Can you see that? Uh, it's displayed inside a glass case and usually there's a small crowd of people gathered around it because uh, quite simply this is one of the most significant objects in the whole of the museum. Uh, you see, before it was discovered in Egypt by the French in 1799, uh, we did not know how to read ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. You know what I mean by hieroglyphics? Those, you know, those picture pictures that are, are actually words um, 
and we, we, because we didn't know, we didn't have any uh, way of translating them. Uh, the experts didn't know what they meant. Um, they didn't have the knowledge, therefore, to be able to understand um, any uh, ancient Egyptian writings uh, written in hieroglyphics. They were ignorant until this ancient stone slab was discovered. And uh, it became very important because the, the slab had inscribed on it a, a message, but it was a message which was inscribed in the scripts of three different languages. Uh, firstly, there were the hieroglyphics, uh, which we, we, we can't understand, but then there were two other languages, the scripts of which and the languages of which the experts know. And so, therefore, they were able to, to crack the code, as it were. They were able to uh, understand the, uh, and decode the hieroglyphics, which meant that they were no longer in the dark. It was the key that they needed that unlocked, um, gave them the knowledge to unlock uh, and read and understand all of the ancient Egyptian writings. Now, there's other stories that are like that, aren't there? Um, stories where on a particular topic uh, that we are ignorant, uh, we're in the dark, until a scientist um, makes a discovery or uh, cracks a code which proves to be, gives us the knowledge which takes us from ignorance to understanding. Now, I want us to think, therefore, about life. What about life? Uh, what about your life? And I raise that because there are many of us who would say that uh, we actually have found the key to understanding life. There are many of us who would say that the, uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is that key. Uh, the key that has taken us from ignorance about life and its meaning and purpose and how we are to live and to why we, why we are to live to an understanding about life, about true life. And so I want to ask the question, is that you? Have you found that key to understanding life? Now, of course, that is a knowledge. Uh, that is a knowledge about life which should lead to changes in life big changes. And that's what this passage that we're looking at today is all about. Because in the second half of uh, Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul spells out the difference. The difference between living in ignorance of the gospel and, the dif and, and what it means to now live in the knowledge of the gospel. To have that understanding that brings us true life. And that's important, isn't it? Because we live in a world where many people live in ignorance, they live in darkness about God, about life, about eternity. And um, <clears throat> indeed, that may once have been us. Uh, we may have lived in that world of ignorance about truth. And so how does Paul describe that kind of life? Well, can I get you to open your Bibles at Ephesians 4 and we're going to have a look at verses 17 to 19 
Uh, we're speaking to the Ephesian church, Paul says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and they are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And having lost all sensitivity, they have given, given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now, that's a, that's a bleak description, isn't it? And, of course, not every non-Christian uh, is a person who indulges in every kind of impurity, but it's actually an appropriate description. It is a right description description it is a true description of the human condition when we are in ignorance and it starts although Paul kind of puts it in reverse order he looks at the um, the results and goes through to the origins but if we look at the origin of that in verse 8 the origin of this uh, ignorance and this lifestyle is it starts with the hardening of the heart you see that in verse 18 now, this, the Greek word that's uh, used for hardening here is an interesting word. It's the word porous, uh, and um, it uh, originally meant to apply to a, a, a marble stone, but it came to be used in, in medicine in the ancient world uh, to describe a, a callus. You know, a callus, it's a, you know, where the, the skin becomes really hardened and uh, thickened and and becomes insensitive. Uh, it also came to be used in respect to um, a, a bony formation uh, on joints, which actually, you know, prevent, make, make movement difficult. And when used of sight, it describes blindness. And this is actually what sin is, isn't it? Uh, because when we want to live our life our way, rather than living God's way, our hearts are hard, are calloused and inflexible uh, to God. We, and we shut God out of our thinking. We, we don't consider the knowledge of God actually worth having. And we, we cut off from God, struggling through life in blindness, in darkness, and trying to find meaning, trying to find satisfaction uh, in things which are of, of our own making, in, in pleasures and and in the uh, things which we can own and ambitions that we, we pursue, which is so often uh, so much more about self rather than others and are certainly not about God. In Ephesians, and to the Ephesians, and to us, Paul says in verse 17 that we must no longer live like that. Because rather than stumbling around in ignorance, what we now have is knowledge. Check out verse 20. Uh, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And so instead of words like hardness and ignorance and darkness, we now see words like to know. It's got to do with knowledge. Uh, words like to hear, actually listening to knowledge. 
and to be taught. And it climaxes in that great phrase, the truth that is in Christ Jesus. The gospel. Now, don't you love it uh, when a person first becomes a Christian? And it's like a, um, a light bulb just switches on in their lives, isn't it? In their minds and their hearts and their, they become so different. They're full, filled with joy. It's a light bulb. And, and because in verse 24, it, when we hear the gospel and believe the gospel, instead of our minds being darkened and corrupted, the knowledge of Jesus now renews our minds and renews our, our attitudes of our hearts. It changes who we are. Now, sometimes uh, there are changes in life which mean that we, need, that we don't wear the same clothes anymore. You know, earlier on we prayed for our HSC students, didn't we? And uh, I'm sure that uh, when our HSC students finish year 12... Um, <clears throat> they're not going to turn up at their new job wearing their school uniform uh, or uni or TAFE. They're going to put that aside, aren't they? Pass it on down to the younger brothers or sisters. Uh, you take it off and you put on whatever it is you wear to uni these days because your school uniform, well, that's, it's no longer you. It's no longer who you are. You take off and you put on something different. And so in verse 20, 22 to 24, that's us. Because we are described in Christ now as being a new creation. And so we are to put off the old self and put on the new. So what's that going to look like? Well, Paul now lists five areas of life where... Um, changes are going to need to happen and with we're going to work through these and what you'll notice is in a sense broadly speaking with each one of these changes in life uh, this is what there's a bit of a formula and, and this is what Paul says he says here's what you need to put off here's what you need to put on in its place and then he says and here's the reason why he gives a reason so let's take a look shall we firstly Verse 25 is about being truthful. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are members of one body. Now, the body, of course, uh, is the church. And last week, uh, in the first part of Ephesians 4, we uh, learnt that we're all members of, um, of one body, aren't we? And as a body, as individuals, uh, we, we work together for the mutual good of the, of the body as a whole to build one another up in Christ-likeness. We are all members with different abilities, different gifts, different personalities, different opportunities, but we are all members of the same body, the church. So, does it make sense for one member of the body to be untruthful towards another member of the same body. 
Doesn't make sense, does it? Of course not. Uh, no lies, half-truths, pretense, deceit. Have you ever known a church body to be united by those things? <laughs> I've seen plenty of churches divided by those things, but not united. Put off falsehood, says Paul, put on truthfulness, because we are now one body. Now, secondly, in verses 26 to 27, this is about dealing with anger. Um, in your anger, says Paul, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, um, there's a lot we can say about this, but let's just focus firstly on the foothold issue because uh, mountain climbers, they know what a foothold is, don't they? You find a crevice, <coughs> you lodge your foot in it <coughs> and that gives you the opportunity to then uh, take the next step up the mountain. And sometimes uh, our anger can be righteous anger, can't it? I mean, I think that Christians shouldn't be complacent about things which are about injustice and uh, abuse that goes on in the world. These things which result in sin and hurt other people, uh, to be indifferent about them, uh, that's just not Christian, isn't it? There is a sense in which we should be righteous there's a righteous, righteous to be angry about certain things. Jesus was angry that his father's house had been tur turned into a den of robbers. Uh, there is such a thing as righteous anger, but often our anger is not righteous anger, is it? We may believe that someone has acted wrongly, perhaps wrongly towards ourselves, but how we respond may actually give Satan that foothold that he's after, that foothold to use us to, uh, to twist other people's hearts and to damage the body of Christ. And so we are to put off anger and what we are to put on uh, implicitly here is dealing properly with that anger, dealing with that anger so that we don't sin. Um, don't let the sun go down on your anger, uh, he says. Now, um, what does that mean? I understand that in, some, in Scandinavia that the sun doesn't go down for the whole of summer. <laughs> now, I don't think that that means that Scandinavian Christians have got just that uh, extended, that extension of time to, uh, to harbour their anger and not deal, deal with it, to stew on it. Um, no, the principle here is... You know, don't give your anger time to fester. Not a bad idea to not go to sleep, not go to bed at night while you're still angry. But the, the, the overall concept here is don't give your anger time to fester. Um, deal with the issue. And, and, you know, I found a good way of um, handling my anger is uh, firstly to go and take a look in the mirror and see if I'm actually the problem. And if that doesn't fix it, <clears throat> try to go and have a loving chat with the person who you think has done wrong. Um, but also bear in mind that when we do that, um, that we are to speak the truth, yes, but to speak the truth in, in love. Speak the truth in love. Sometimes we can be pretty big on hitting the person, uh, pretty hard with um, 
the truth of their wrongdoing, um, but a little bit small on the love side of things in terms of how we do that. Um, just a personal opinion um, is that I think that um, a good way of having that kind of chat with someone who we think has wronged us is to, uh, to do so in person where we can um, face to face over a cuppa or in whatever social context that's appropriate. Uh, I'm just not convinced that text messages and emails are a great way of um, delivering the news to someone, of telling them um, what they have done wrong. I'm not convinced of that. Have you found that? You found that? They kind of lack that, um, that personal uh, touch, don't they? That, uh, the, you know, the warmth of the body language, the, uh, the gentleness of the tone of voice, the opportunity to, to clarify the issue and, and to even to pray with one another about it. And also they may not necessarily arrive uh, in the person's inbox at a time which is really helpful for them. Put off anger. Put on what we're talking about here. We're talking about reconciliation, aren't we? And don't give the devil a foothold. Now, thirdly, verse 28 is about being generous. Let's check it out. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. What are we to put off? We're to put off stealing. What are we to put on? A set of work clothes <laughs> to go to work to do a job and what's the reason for this well the reason for this is actually so that we can uh, be um, be generous to someone else uh, to someone else who has need I mean how radical is that <laughs> imagine the person who steals from other others steals from other people that's his job <laughs> if you like then becomes someone who is, is hard-working and is generous to those who are in need. That is a radical, wow, that's incredible. Now, we may not be bank robbers, but for, you know, for people who are ignorant of God, there are some kind of acceptable um, forms of theft, aren't there? Uh, like cheating on your tax return, not like... A, not declaring uh, income for jobs that you've done. I mean, after all, everyone else is doing it, isn't it? That's right, isn't it? Everyone else is living in darkness. That may be who we once were, but now that we know Christ, we don't live for money. And that actually frees us up, doesn't it? It frees us up to help the person who is in need and to become generous people. Now, fourthly, in verse 29, it's all about um, what I call helpful talk. Check it out, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, that it may benefit those who listen. Put off what? Unwholesome talk. Put on helpful talk. And why? Well, to bless the person who we're talking to. Now, the word for unwholesome here, I think, is a really interesting word. 
uh, in the Greek, the original means rotten fruit. <clears throat> That's fitting, isn't it? Rotten fruit. That's not something that you eat and digest. Well, that's something I used to give to my guinea pigs, but not to, uh, not to my family. Uh, rotten fruit, and that's very fitting because that is what like, that's what some conversations are like. Crudity, um, foul language, gossip, criticism. What do these things do to the hearer? They pollute the hearer, don't they? And they drag the, 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 the hearer down. Whereas uh, I found that there are some people who, um, you know, if I'm feeling a little bit flat, I just love to go and have a chat with them <laughs> because their words are so understanding, um, so godly, so joyful, so encouraging. And that's it the kind of conversation where I walk away from feeling like I've been really blessed. A person has blessed me just by talking because from their mouths come the purity of their hearts. And that's who we need to be. Now finally, verse 30 um, is a little bit different, 30 and following. Um, it's about not grieving the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul says in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it's a bit difficult because, di different because in, in what follows here, it doesn't follow that the pattern of the other uh, issues that he's raised. Um, and he talks about the Holy Spirit who, you know, we receive, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit when we um, put our trust in Christ and we're, we're sealed where, um, by the Spirit until the day of redemption, until the Lord Jesus returns. And uh, so the Spirit is with us, um, the Spirit is in us, the Spirit is our our counsellor, our guide, our, uh, he is God within us. And during that period between when we become Christians and our final redemption at the uh, coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that time that we are in, we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, what grieves the Holy Spirit. Note in this that the Spirit is personal. It's not a, it's, the Spirit is not a thing or a force. The, the Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. The Spirit is God who grieves. Who grieves when... And what is it that causes the Spirit to grieve? Uh, well, he's, he's the Holy Spirit and so unholiness grieves the Spirit particularly in Ephesians, where he's described a couple of times as being one spirit, when we're told that there's one faith, there's one spirit, there's one body, uh, what grieves the spirit uh, is um, disunity within the church, where we're not as one with one another. These things grieve him. And so therefore, in verse 31... What Paul does is he bundles a few things which we need to take off 
uh, so that we don't grieve the spirit. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And what are we to put on in its place? Compassion and forgiveness towards one another. And why? Well, here, friends, is the overall key, isn't it? Here is the Rosetta Stone of life, if you like. Uh, the key which takes us from uh, ignorance and darkness to knowledge and light, uh, the key which takes us from falsehood to truthfulness, from anger to peacemaking, from stealing to generosity, from rotten talk to building up, from grudges to forgiveness, the key. Why is it we should make these changes? Why should we forgive others? Because in verse 31, God in Christ has forgiven you. Makes all the difference, doesn't it? Forgiven of your sin, reconciled to your creator, made into a new creation, no longer in darkness, but in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and forever. The gospel is the key to life. Now, a few years back, I had the opportunity to visit the British Museum in London. And when I arrived there, I found myself that I had a need of the when nature calls kind of need type of variety. You know what I'm talking about? And so I went to the inquiries counter and I said to the lady there, you know, express my need to her and ask for directions. And she said, sure, look, go down that aisle and turn left and walk past the Rosetta Stone and get to the end of that aisle and turn right and here you'll see the gents in front. I said to her, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what did you just walk past the what? She said, yeah, walk past the Rosetta Stone, go down to the end, turn to the right. And I said, no, 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 forget about the gents. I'm not just going to walk past the Rosetta Stone. <laughs> Friends, if you are a Christian, then you have not walked past the gospel. You've seen its importance. You've seen that it's the key to life. You've put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, no longer in ignorance, you are a new creation. So what are the things that you need to change? What are the things in your life that you need to shed, to put off, and to be clothed with the character of God in Christ? What are those issues that you need to put off and put on so that you will be, as Paul says in verse 24, more like God in righteousness and in holiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible light that you've given us that is the key to understanding life and eternity and reality. 
Father, we pray that um, as people have been changed by the gospel, that we would no longer live as the world lives, that we would no longer live as perhaps we used to live. Father, we pray that you would help us to identify those areas in our character that reflect more of um, ignorance than the knowledge of you. And Father, by your spirit, that you would give us the power to make those changes, that we would indeed be the people that you would have us be, uh, that we would be the church that you would have us be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.